2: download the free anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started so what are you waiting for podcast stardom is within your reach
1: the music world moves fast want to stay up to date on the latest albums and get in-depth examinations with the artists check out consequence of sound the podcast bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know and much more Subscribe to the series on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and let the writers of Consequence of Sound steer you right. Check it out at consequenceofsound.net/cospodcast. Consequence Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's an interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network Uh, Take a second before we get started, hit that subscribe button We put out multiple interviews every single week Would love to keep you up to date on every single one of those That's whether you're listening on Spotify, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from I'm Kyle Meredith. Uh, It's a special episode today with three guests. Going to be talking about Wild Nothing, Bodega, and Houndmouth. All three bands have brand new records, which we'll be getting into as we go along here. Starting out with Wild Nothing. Jack Tatum's project just released the latest record, Indigo. It was sort of a reaction to the previous record. We'll get into that, as well as my favorite track on the record, Canyon on Fire. It's also been called a Pop Manifesto, which Jack explains. And of course, there's some talk about the '80s and its sound as well. It's Kyle Meredith with Jack Tatum of Wild Nothing. Hello. Is it fair to say, or, or rather, ask, uh, is this a reaction to the last record? That happens with a lot of artists. Every album seems to be a reaction, but there's something about this one that seems maybe specifically for that.
3: Kind of. I mean, it's it's probably more like what you're saying, where you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things where there's there's a natural reaction to the the last thing that i did it's all this sort of push and pull i think for me and and i think with the last record i was definitely trying to to kind of like push my songwriting in in different directions and kind of seeing the ways in which i could i could stretch myself and stretch my own creativity and so in, in a certain way i think with this record it's kind of an attempt to to rein things in a little bit and and get back to the the sort of core ideology of of what this band is and and so, in that sense, I think I was I was not only just reacting to the last record, but also kind of being a bit more um, reflective in terms of of my past records as well, and kind of trying to to keep the whole lineage of everything in mind as I was making the record.
2: There's um, you know, some great songs all through it. I think the one that caught my ear off the bats, uh, Canyon Canyon on Fire. Uh, it's it's mm. even got a it's sort of got a different mood than the rest of the record, is how I hear it. it, it you know. There, it, it's almost more of the guitars are up front on this one, and it's got that Cure style yeah. keyboard line going behind that. What, mm-hmm. what what What's the story on this song? Because it does kind of set itself apart a little bit from the others.
3: Yeah, I it, it mean, it, it does. Um, that song in particular and Letting Go actually are, are the first songs that, that I wrote for this record. And so when I wrote them, I had no real kind of concept about what, I was gonna do next. I, I yeah. You know, I was I wasn't even necessarily thinking about the next record yet. So much as just trying to kind of write songs. Uh, and so those those songs I I wrote them both actually kind of immediately following the last record coming out. So basically, you know, I had, I had just put out Life Pause and and was kind of just in this in between period where we hadn't really started touring yet, and I was I was just at home, so I was working on music. And so both of those songs were kind of. Uh, in, a, in a way, they they were just me sort of trying to do what I was talking about and just kind of, like, it had been a while since I had just kind of, like, let songs flow easily, <laughs> you know, like, there was a lot of effort made on the last record to just kind of, like, go against my initial instincts, just kind of as an experiment. And so I think with Canyon on Fire and Letting Go, I was kind of like, oh, no, let, let me just kind of write what I think is, like, a quintessential Wild Nothing song or something. And so that was kind of what I was doing, and um, yeah, you know, the record ended up taking a few turns in either direction from that moment, but um, but that kind of like set the tone a little bit, I think. But yeah, I mean, that that song is definitely it stands out a little bit. It's 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 the it's the most aggressive sounding song I think in terms of of the guitar tones, and and um, it's it's a it's a memorable one for me as well.
2: I saw one interviewer had called this record your pop manifesto. Uh, I didn't know if that was projecting onto you or if you sort
3: of agreed with that. <laughs> I, I do agree with that, yeah. I, I, I definitely think of this record as a pop record, first and foremost.
2: I mean, it says a lot about the music, but does that also feature into, you know, how you're doing the lyrics, you know, the the type of songs that you're you're tackling uh, thematically?
3: A little bit. I mean, I, I think I think once you've sort of... Set the scene for yourself or at least what i was doing with this record it was just kind of like you know at a certain point saying like okay the, I, i'm thinking of this as a pop record I'm, I'm referencing a lot of like pop records from from the 80s and more so than than i was before i think you know i think before i was much more interested in kind of understatement and um referencing a lot of bands that that now you know i think have a lot of cult status and 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 big followings but at the time weren't necessarily like intentionally pop artists but but i think with this record i was looking at people more like like tears for fears or something for instance who were like you know i think that was always their intention and always their the undercurrent of their music was was like you know they kind of wanted to write hits (laughs) but yeah so i mean there's a little bit of that you know like i i don't i don't think necessarily that, that i was shooting that high but but in terms of like the, the structure of the songs and yeah the lyrical content event too you know I, I think there was an attempt to kind of find a way to to write about the things that i wanted to, to write about but also like still be relatable
2: looking back at that you, know, you mentioned the 80s it's it's hard not to do a wild uh, nothing interview without bringing up that that term that phrase there but there was yeah you look back at that decade and and, and, and there was this real interest in the future at that point and and they were trying to make mm-hmm. you know there was a lot of artists that were that were trying to you know um to 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 consider what the future would be like and and now here we are in that future usually this was around the era that you know a lot of folks would hit on and i look at a song like the closest thing to living and and hearing you talk about you know the title track you know well talk about the uh, sorry the color indigo and that glued to the screens mm-hmm. and the blue screens and it's like was this? I don't know if this is exactly what they had in mind, but sometimes I do like, you know, not to be hyperbolic with saying dystopian future, but it sound, it almost feels like a lot of that stuff did come true in that way.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think you had a lot of people in that era, too, that were were kind of embracing really, really cold sounding productions, which I think is like what maybe turns a lot of people off about like that era of music. It's not particularly warm music, you know, I mean, I think maybe it it is like um, composition wise or like melody wise or whatever, but but the production of a lot of those records are are pretty kind of like clinical sounding, which I think was part of what you're talking about exactly of this, this like embrace and push of, of like new and emerging technologies at the time. Which is funny because, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, that's that's always the curse, I think, of, like, being someone that, that, that pulls so much influence from, from other decades is that really I'm looking at people that were in the moment being very kind of, like, forward-thinking. But now here I am being, like, you know, looking backwards. But I don't know. It's just I don't really know how else to describe it except that, like, for some reason I just don't I don't relate to, like, like 2018 progressive music or whatever that might mean, Mm -hmm. you know, like I don't, for some reason I'm not, I'm less excited about like people that are doing something different just to be different, as opposed to people that are just like, just writing songs well and like working with melody well. And that's like, that's like a timeless thing that doesn't, you know, you can dress that up however you like. And for me, I dress it up in eighties clothes, I guess, but, but it's, it's, you know, that's just kind of like one facet of it.
2: Well, you give it a soul, though. I mean, recording it, you know, live in the way you guys did, you know, what parts of it you did record live. I mean, that's important. It, it can be looking back yeah. or looking forward, uh, whatever, but it, there is a heart on this record, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that really does make it stand out in that way. It's one thing I appreciate, anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, and I'm glad that that, you know, comes across for for certain people, because we definitely went into, like, a lot of effort in order to, to accomplish that.
2: Well, it's definitely there. I'm a big fan. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for for talking to me about it. Uh, Congratulations again on Indigo, and I hope uh, we can see you around these parts at some point.
3: Yeah, well, thank you very much. Yeah, I I hope so, too. All right. Take care, sir. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.
2: Hey, my thanks to Jack Tatum of Wild Nothing again. The newest record is called Indigo. Now ahead to my second guest for this episode, Bodega. I caught up with uh, Ben Hosey to talk about their debut record, Endless Scroll. We also get into the weight and history of New York City punk, some rules that the band put in place early on that's just sort of haunted them throughout this process, and how he took some inspiration from Leonardo DiCaprio's character from the movie Titanic. It's Kyle Meredith with Ben Hosey from Bodega. Hey. Um, my compliments first, Endless Scroll, one of my favorite releases of the year. It's an exceptional record. You guys did uh, knocked it out of the park on this one. Thank you. You know, being in New York, uh, sort of having a punk vibe to it, whatever you want to call it, art punk, wherever this falls in, how mm-hmm. much weight does the history of, of that scene in New York play to it? Or, or is there any sense of wanting to at least, you know, honor that, uh, that that heritage, I guess?
4: Well, I think you honor that heritage by kind of destroying the heritage in a way. The, kill, the kind of the side you Kill Your Idols mentality. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, we're obviously influenced by a lot of bands. You know, we have the stand-up drums and the, the, the droning major chords, which we nick from the Velvets. And, you know, I guess we have, yeah, I mean, maybe we're less influenced by the CBGB's bands, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Honestly, the bands I feel like we rip off the most were British bands from that era, like The Fall and Wire or Gang of Four. Um, I thought they were uh, kind of more conceptual in a way that the New York City bands weren't, at least towards our taste. Early New York City hip hop is a thing that we like a lot. I mean, d- definitely we're we're not a band that tries to hide our influences. You know, we kind of wear them on our sleeve to, but to play with uh, towards our own ends. You know, we're not trying to be a revival group by any means or anything like that. You know,
2: I mean, and, and you all came from you know another band and, and other bands where it didn't sound like this, although the hallmarks are there because, you're, you know, the vocals and everything, you know, you're still you and everything. But so when you went yeah. into this, you know, w- with those bands in mind or, or whatever, I mean, did you know exactly what you wanted Bodega to sound like in that sense?
4: Yeah, pretty much. I wanted it to be more streamlined than my last band with the similar ideas, but, you know, a little bit more minimal, a little bit tougher. Um, a little bit more, you know, with a talk, talk, rap vocals kind of vibe. Um, just something that, you know, we were we were feeling a lot of pent up energy. We wanted to play like a, you know, very streamlined music that would really get a club moving. You know what I mean? It was very utilitarian. We were, we weren't thinking big picture. We were thinking about what's the best forty-five minute set we could play to a bar full of a hundred people. You know? Uh,
2: I mean, that's that. I think that's what's mind blowing to me about this is how realized the sound is you know, for it being yeah. first album for, for this band or whatever. I, I think that's like, yeah. like how long. So from, from getting to that point of what you wanted to getting the sound realized, was it difficult? I mean, did you find that it was easier than before?
4: Um, it was kind of difficult. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, nothing was really organic with making the record. We, um, you know a lot of it was sort of written in software uh, our, our lead guitar player Madison you know i would have i would have a song that i really liked was just kind of something something simple like power chords and the melody and i was i was kind of set that it was going to be that way maybe in the way Kent Knocked the hustle is that's like there was like most of the songs were in that vein in that very simple pink flag ramones kind of style then we got really excited about not being so obvious and so just kind of straight up punk rock so we uh you know we kind of chiseled away and um we we would match up melodies with guitar parts that weren't w- one thing that really excites us about songwriting is if you have a song that doesn't make sense unless all the parts are playing at once so like you know the melody wouldn't even make sense unless you heard both the guitar parts and the, the, re- the record's very it is minimal but they're e- each each part of the puzzle is doing something different to um you know, create create the whole painted picture.
5: No,
2: it's a a symphony. It's completely a symphony in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Starting out the record, you know, having a line right up there at the beginning of this machine doesn't kill fascists. it's only a guitar. A lot Mm -hmm. of people centered on that line. It's a great line. (laughs) But it's not in a way, I mean, you're setting us up for, it feels like you're setting us up for something, especially as, as you listen to the rest of the record. Maybe that guitar itself literally isn't going to, but you're still... You're still aiming away and taking some stabs in this.
4: Yeah, I guess you know I had I had sort of an, a rock fan existential crisis, as I'm sure most people do, a couple of years ago, where you know rock and roll had met meant so much to me as something that could carry profound meaning, and I know it certainly changed me and my outlook of the world. But then you know you hit this point where you realize, wow, I've been tricked, maybe. And this is all very superficial, and pop songs are essentially just jingle commercials to sell me a lifestyle, and I bought into it, and maybe I'm wasting my time here. I'm sure, I don't know if you relate to that. So a, a lot of my songwriting over the last like three or four years has been kind of an emotional response to that, where I'm... Holding this almost in a Hegelian synthesis, this idea of believing in rock and roll in this very classical kind of way, and then hating it at the same time, you
2: know. No, I mean that's a, it's a, there's a very simple Jeff Tweedy line, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, um, that he says, yeah. "I believe in rock and roll." Uh, I find myself wanting to believe in rock and roll in that way because there are those moments. You're talking that, about su- sunken treasures. That's right. It's exactly. Ah, yeah. I love, I love that song. Yeah, like you know, because there have been those moments in my life where you know it's it's uh, it's a song, whether it's a political song or a socially reflective song or whatever in that sense, but but it's been a call to arms for myself, you know, and 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 whatever. Like I've wanted to believe in that, and I want to believe that, I want to believe that guitars can not kill fascists. You know, it's definitely yeah. I mean, what? But but you're not just. I mean, it's not. You're not calling out the government or anything like this. Like, you chose to no. hit on something really more specific to people's lives. Well, I think
4: my strategy has always been I don't like when bands point at the boogeyman. Like, you know, for example, if you wanted to make—I've seen a lot of punk bands aim songs at uh, the American president now and things like that. It's just so obvious and kind of dumb and in some ways just makes the person singing the song seem stupid. I don't know. Whereas, you know, I, I've always thought it's more interesting and much more honest to kind of critique yourself and critique sort of the, the alternative mindset and show how it's not, in fact, alternative at all. But the, the Bodega Bay album was called Our Brand, Kabir Life, which mm-hmm. is obviously a spin on the classic Minutemen, Our Band, Kabir Life. And, you know, it's, it's, meant, it's meant to be very offensive to a lot of old punks, you know, who r- revere that book and... Minutemen and, and the whole 80s underground lifestyle of essentially saying, well, I mean, th- that was just as equally as, as superficial as, you know, anything that those people were criticizing. That, to me, is much more honest and much more real. And, and that's why, how did this happen? It's not about it's, about, it's about sort of the complacency of alternative culture, I guess, which is a far more hard thing to talk about than it is to just say, look at these bad people who have terrible policies and whatnot. It's like, duh, I don't know.
2: Well, it's, it's nice the the way the um, I guess the weight is there because because you're saying important things, but it doesn't ever s- feel like you're taking things overly serious, you know. Or, or and I don't mean that yeah. condescending in a way. I, of course, there's also yeah. the balance of this record too. You get a song like "Jack and Titanic," you know, which yeah. <laughs> you know there's there's you know the, the the moment to exhale, the moment to breathe and have fun a little bit. Nikki, the the other singer in the group, she loved that movie Titanic, so she
4: was. um very earnestly likes it. It's just is just a very well crafted melodrama, which it is. It's like Gone with the Wind or something, sure. yeah? yeah. So we were watching it, and I I hadn't seen it since I was probably like seven or eight or something when it when it first came out. But I I realized while watching it with her that almost all of my ideas of what it means to be a man in quotation marks had been sort of extracted from that character like I had internalized it as well as other characters that I'd seen on the screen as a little kid like James Bond or Jackie Chan in the Rush Hour movies or something like that but um, I I had been sort of seducing Nikki we were just starting our courtship and I, I realized that I had been acting just like Jack and then I had this bigger idea, too, that so many of the rock and roll archetypes that I've come across locally in Brooklyn and just in books and things like that they act just like like Jack does as well. He's like you know the perfect kind of rock and roll character he's uh, in in that very huck finn kind of way but even more so because like the fantasy i think all rock and rollers have is we can we can come from be the, the underdogs the underprivileged you know that's why you get so many rock and roll people pretending to be poorer than they actually are it's like all, there's always a contest between rockers and garage rockers to, to, to one up each other about how much harder they had it growing up than the other ones you know and, and a lot of times it's very com- comical. Because so then Jack, he, he's able to be very much himself when he's hanging with the upper classes in that very James Bond way. He's comfortable in all scenarios. And, uh, you know, he's a great dancer. He's a great lover. He's romantic. He can paint, but he can also fight. You know, he always sticks up for what's right. He has he has his buddies. You know, there's that male camaraderie thing. I don't know. I can go on and on, but I don't know. I, I saw something in that character that seemed to be like a bigger picture idea. But, I mean, I guess Jack and Titanic ties in with one of the, the bigger bodega ideas is that you know none of our ideas are our own; they always come from somewhere, some kind of system. Or so, in, in that sense, it's ju- you know it's about the it's just as a uh, political of a song as any other ones. But um, you know, like you said earlier, I think that the ideas are best communicated through jokes mm-hmm. and through wit and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I, I, I do honestly think Titanic is a hilarious, fun movie. I'd happily watch it tonight if I had three and a half hours to kill or something. So.
2: It's interesting. Uh my 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 similar association with it there was a movie around that same time called Legends of the Fall. Are you familiar with that one? Oh yeah. Like yeah, I yeah. went as far as naming my son after one of the characters in that which well, was Brad Pitt's character his name was Tristan. And um yeah. And these days I look at that and I go, "Oh, I don't want him to completely look at that and feel like he's supposed to pick up on all the macho mannerisms that come along with that character." It's just, you know, it's but but there that is all embedded in it, you know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious
2: <laughs> poor kid it's a great movie I still love it I'm not apologizing for that part at all but
4: <laughs> no I, I've never seen that one I remember seeing the videotape at blockbusters and stuff but you know I'll have to go watch it that's oh, a beautiful epic completely beautiful epic.
2: yeah yeah, yeah. I, This is so it does bring up Jack and Titanic also brings up another thing when, it, when I saw Bodega's list of rules that you all made going into it one of them is do not repeat oh, lyrics yeah. But I guess that yeah. doesn't mean, like, you, you're not meant to have hooks, though, right?
4: Oh, no, we're all about hooks. I mean, a hook can mean a lot of different things,
2: but, you know, a, a one
4: phrase that you repeat becomes a hook, you know? I mean, the thing about
5: the
4: it, – it's funny. When, ever since that list got put out, I think in the Village Voice or whatever, <laughs> people ask me about it, like, every day. And what's I feel slightly embarrassed, but I think it's also very true of the creative process that we broke every single rule on that list. right. I mean, we do plenty of garage rock. We do plenty of uh, you know repeating lyrics. You know, almost all the all the rules we broke. Which I think, you know, I feel like w- when you set out to make conceptual stuff and you say, all right, we're going to have no guitars in the song. But if you need guitars on the song, then whatever, you know. But it's good to <laughs> it's good to start with the rule, you know.
2: Well, I mean, it's it's also. You know, by accident, may be good for rock and roll myth making. On top of it, you know, now there's something that exists in that realm. You
4: know, for yeah. Well, I mean, I, I it was extremely helpful because we. Uh, how are we going to define what we're going to do? Well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. You know, and uh in our minds, like we were following all these rules. But if you actually be, if we're honest with ourselves and we listen to it, we're like, oh. We're, we're, you know, <laughs> maybe it's not as different as we thought we did, but we hit upon our own thing, so that's cool, you know
2: absolutely and and to go along yeah. with that, you know having having the song set in a place or whatever I mean the album in one sense is so specifically. Said in Brooklyn, as, again, many people yeah. have written. But this could be anyone's Midwestern life. I mean, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. and it's it's as much yeah. mine as anybody's. That's the great trick. Yeah. I've said this before. When, when you make a song, because you have some songwriters, and their train of thought is that mm-hmm. I have to make this accessible to everyone. And when you uh-huh. do that, you get bland and nothing that I can hold on to. You know, but, yeah. but the songs that, you know, w- when an artist writes so specifically about a person they know, about a place that they were at, about something that happened in that one moment in time sp- just for them, I find that I relate to that ten times more than, you know, any of these other bigger themed songs.
4: Yeah, no, uh, concrete things are always really powerful because you have a specific image to hold on to. Otherwise, you just have a platitude, which you can't
2: hold on to. And every one of these songs become, you know, just something ten times more than I think. I don't know if you ever meant them to be that way, it's or, or if you fell into that part accidentally, but that's exactly how it worked out.
4: Well, <laughs> I, appreciate, I really do appreciate it. It feels good that, you know, the record does translate,
2: you know? Yeah, no. Again, Ben, Endless Girl, is it is one of my favorites. Uh, thank you all for making it. Uh, and, and hopefully I'll be able to hear it live. It's one of these points, too. So I uh, appreciate that and your time today.
4: Well, I, we should be coming through there in the spring, so hopefully we'll see you then.
2: Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, and I'll uh, I'll see you around. See ya. Yeah, right. take Good care. Chatting. And my thanks to Ben Hosey again. Bodega's debut record is out. It is called "Endless Scroll." Now to my third guest for this episode, uh, longtime friends of mine, Houndmouth. Their latest record has been released. It's called Golden Age. There's a new sound that goes along with that really gets away from their Americana roots. In fact, we'll talk about the introduction of beats. We'll also get into the fan reactions. There were some very funny ones that uh, when folks first heard this record, there's discussions on how parenthood has changed their lives and their writing, as well as their split with founding member Katie Tupin. It's Kyle Meredith with Houndmouth. We get the first taste of the return of Houndmouth. With a song called This Party, and all hell breaks loose on the Internet. <laughs> now, now I, I've had the luxury of knowing you guys, uh, you know, outside of, of the industry for a little while now, so I sort of knew something was coming. Like, you've been teasing that things are going to be different this time around. And it's been a few years since the last record, but you basically exploded your sound. Like, I, does that is was that on purpose? Did, does it feel like that's what happened, that you just said, okay, that
6: was that, to hell, this, yeah, know, to hell with it! yeah, to hell with like it. we 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 I think that was very intentional, like it was just a it was like a
0: yeah, it wasn't intentional in the sense that we were like, oh, we gotta change our our stuff up, but but it was just like, oh well, we just are writing things and then and, and that's then, how they went, so yeah. and that's
6: the direction that we took everything else, yeah, yeah, so and was- the
0: kids with suspenders
3: hated it, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing though we when you come when you when you guys you you arrived and it was sort of uh, when a certain genre was in vogue in vogue and and you know it was. I don't know what was, what the folk rock revolutionary, you well, know, yeah. the Mumford. Yeah. Well,
0: because, and we were obsessed with the band for a really yeah, long time. Right, right. And, and, and we were young and we were learning how to make music and, and using what we, you know, what we knew, what we grew up on. And then eventually we were just like, yeah, we've, we've like, we did that. And okay. We heard it. Yeah.
6: The heard first couple of records were heavily influenced by our influences growing up. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of found out what we wanted to be like how we wanted to be perceived and this is the uh it's the new album
2: yeah but that that's a hard thing for a lot of bands to break out of i mean what, a lot of times once you're kind of put in that box most bands a lot of bands at least they don't feel safe kind of journeying out of that for and, real and, yeah <laughs> well, well that's, like, what's that like but it's
0: like a, like it's not just like being a, like obsessed with music but it's like being obsessed with like creative process or like how things work and how yeah. things are made you know it's like it's like uh, I always to like, okay, I wanted to play guitar when I was young, so I, I was like, oh, I'll play until I get, you know, good, and then and then I got obsessed with something else, and then now I, I can play guitar and then use that to do so, something else.
2: Right, right. So, as far as, I don't know, it sounds like you're just writing songs, and, and luckily you arrived to this place, which I, I do love. I've, I've heard the full album now, and, you know, it's almost carnivalesque in a few points, and, you know, like, this glam rock carnival uh, yeah. is sort of the sound of it that, that kind of filters through it, which is a lot of fun to listen to but once you start seeing that the songs don't sound like the old songs is there that point where you're going this is this is going to be really different
5: did did that moment arrive uh Uh, not really i feel like (laughs) i feel like the songs are it's still kind of the same almost subject it's the same kind of songwriting it's just Wacky sound, As sounds. far as, like, structurally, yeah. like, you know? Yeah. As yeah.
0: far as, stru- like, basic, like, structure. But that's what we played with. So we had, like, the basic structure. And then, and then we got together with Rado and Sean Everett. So it was like, now how can we mess with the creation of mm-hmm. the songs? And beats. And beats. There yeah, are lots
2: beats. of beats. And when you hear a lot of beats like that, you start to worry yeah. about the drummer. Man. Yeah.
5: <laughs> it <laughs> Shame. was... I was definitely scared uh, when we busted out the Lind drum machine yeah and uh you know at certain points there's like a straight time and there's a half time and I'm gonna have to figure like I figured it out live and
0: there was a very stressful moment between uh, when the album was kind of wrapped and when we had to start rehearsing it there was like that little period of downtime <laughs> where we're like how oh, is this going to work
2: <laughs> was it much for Shane, for you to adapt to to that i mean as you're talking about was it was that having to put yourself in a different spot to kind of figure out how this
5: was going to work for you I think so I I was very adamant about I would never want to go to a click live I never want to do that I never want to play like triggered things I want so it all to guy. be real yeah I'm a feel I'm a halftime <laughs> kind of guy so when I have to play straight time it freaks me out yeah. so it was a lot of practice like relearning a lot of stuff and it was I had a blast. I was going to say it's a lot of fun. It like it's it, to relearn things, not
6: to relearn, but to learn things, to learn how things. How can I? say To this?
0: learn how things is.
2: <laughs> to to <laughs> learn how things is and how they be is great. People <laughs> don't people don't think it be like it is, but um, it do. Well, well, Zach. Like, I mean, uh, there, there's also the whole thing about how you know the the bass and and the drums always kind of interact, and when you're sort of playing with a machine in a way. Like, how does that change that dynamic of
5: just the feel as you're talking about? Yeah, does, does it alter it? I think we're we, Zach and I have always been pretty locked in. Yeah, and I mean, as we can be, as we can. <laughs> At least we think. i think we it about a very like Paul McCartney vibe to it, where, where like the bass could actually be like a
6: I don't want to say focal point for for lack of a better word, but yeah. like another another thing that you actually hear as opposed to just backing up the kick mm-hmm. drum and, and all the hits. I think mm-hmm. it could be like that. Yeah. A His cool melodic
0: funny poem. you said that. He, McCartney always recorded bass last, from what I heard. And uh, when we finished the song Golden Age, we realized we didn't have a bass on it. And we were mixing it. And we were like, oh, man, we need... And and the song was complete, so you need, like, a pocket bass player. So uh, Sean... Uh, sent the track to Pino Palladino. He was in like South America. Yeah, and he ended up playing bass on it.
2: I mean, one of the greatest bass players of our time. Uh, of our time, Pino yeah. Palladino. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it was at the very, very last thing put on the song.
6: Wow. So, I'm getting back to the learning of the songs, that was my bass line that I had to learn.
5: You know, just, <laughs> we were all like, <laughs> good Pino luck, Pino Palladino.
2: Man. It's like, well, it's not going to be exact. Yeah. Just, um... And with all respect to, to Pino Palladino, what we're <laughs> actually saying here, in a, in a long stretch way, is you had to learn the parts from the guy. who who replaced John Entwistle, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which in itself is just a complete mountain. You know, that's. Are there any other guests uh, while we're on that subject on the record besides Pino? Uh,
0: yeah. So, well, Rado produced it, and Rado played a lot on it. And uh, oh, so we were at this. Uh, we were at Sonic Ranch in El Paso, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a band playing next door, and we went over and we we're like, "Yeah, we got we got an idea." We want to bring everybody over individually and play along to a click track for like seven minutes. And here's the key to the song, but they hadn't heard the song, and they just noodled for seven. And all these guys kept coming over and doing it. Yeah, one and at then, a time. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then. So we had, like, 20, 30-something tracks, and Sean and Rado played the tracks while we just recorded the song over it. Uh-huh. And they would just bring in random moments. It, it how, you,
2: of... how do you fill out the credits to something
5: like
0: that? Yeah.
5: They seemed very happy to just do it. Just do, they do it. it. We're doing, I think, just kind of a... Uh, pretty down slow nashville country record so they kind of wanted very, to get weird chill, cool. so <laughs> i think they were just super happy to come seven over.
2: minutes just go crazy like, right with, with yeah. just nothing but with your sitar and there's a lot of interesting sounds all the way through it and and like i said you sort of we all got that right from the beginning so this party comes out and as we've alluded to <laughs> it's a different sound for the fans and there's this whole thing you guys do a video sort of poking fun at the whole whose idea was that
0: uh matt folks he's from louisville he's awesome he's an awesome video maker and he uh one day we just like like first day of the responses mm-hmm. it, we were all like oh man uh, people really hate this and i mean then, did you anticipate <laughs> that a little bit uh, a little bit yeah and then yeah. when it happened we're like oh this is cool and and then we were like, "Oh, but it kind of hurts my feelings." And then...
5: <laughs> oh yeah, we were like laughing, but deep down we were just so sad. Well, yeah. we don't like, focus on a... the positive comments, it's easy. Like, it's nobody it's, does. it's, yeah. it's yeah. a no. lot
6: of fun to go through and read the negative comments and just kind of have a laugh amongst ourselves. Yeah. But, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Uh, so Matt Folks just sent us this video that he had made, and we like, we just, it was just spot on. Yeah, he nailed it.
2: And, uh, and all those people now get a featured spot, you know, right in the spotlight of, <laughs> uh, right. of the single. <laughs> Promote the haters. Yeah. You all have have always had a really good way of writing about the seedier characters in life. I think we've talked about that in previous interviews on the albums. A lot of the characters that are in Hound Mouse songs are from the seedy side of, uh, of the character track. Are those still alive on this record? Do we uh- hear from those? And if they are...
0: I think so. I think it's more like a broad, broader perspective of... You always hear about, like, like when you write something... All right, so, like, if you're writing folk music or something, like, back in the day, people wrote about trains because trains were the jam, right? <laughs> right. And now it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. So it's like, they're just things to, like, talk about and write about. And, unfortunately... All of the olden time things are connected to this like folk music, mm-hmm. and then there but there's so there's just this is this is now, and there's so the character like, there's things is, to talk about the
6: characters are still c d yes but it's like a uh,
2: stealing your cryptocurrency
6: kind of, <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Seed, well, As opposed to a train robbery kind of scene. Modernized. Let me, let yeah, me just but... bring
2: up the uh the title of that uh that closing track with world leader. I mean, are we talking about the seediest character <laughs> here? Is, is is that what we're getting at?
0: I don't know, man. That was just like a I think that was like a breakup song. So it was like A couple of my friends were going through a breakup, and I wanted to write about it, but I had this hook, (laughs) world leader. I was like, I don't want to lose that hook.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But to drop a title like that, by the way, in 2018, you're just setting yourself up for this question. Right. Yeah,
5: totally. Uh, But then it's
0: fun to, you know—
5: it can be a personal world. It doesn't have to be the actual world. It can be a bubble that. if you will. Man. That's just how I interpret it. I mean, that's, Matt wrote that. That's, <laughs> that's how a, I interpret that's it. That's a really I don't good know answer. How you interpret it, but that
0: yeah. is very personalized. So yeah, everybody yeah. should have their own spin on things. If you, there's a song that's about something, it doesn't freaking matter because everybody has to put their own spin on things at the end of the day. Mhm. And uh, that's what makes us human yeah. in a world of robots. that are trying to collect all of our information and analytics and data. You know, <laughs> They're trying to make us
2: one, but we're all actually separate. It sort of went in a darker and a lighter spot at the same time. Exactly. It did. Uh, this is not a question, by the way. I really love the song Golden Age. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, uh, especially coming after that uh, opening track, which, is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like an intro track to the whole thing, so oh, what, yeah, what yeah. it feels like and everything, and then just mm-hmm. launching into that.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: That's a really awesome moment. Cool. Oh, that's great. that's not a question. That's, cool. that's a
5: statement. Yeah. That is yeah. We'll Thank talk you, about Kyle. that. Yeah, that'll be edited out. Thanks, Kyle. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be like Kyle. Like I hate all the songs. He, he Ruined his, my day. He hit his mute button. I it know. Did. I saw it. His cough button.
0: That was like the first song written. It was. Uh, I it started as like a country song, like a like a stonesy country song. Mm-hmm. Then I just put I, straight time over it and went into it. But I I, I like the idea of writing about characters a lot. there's a lot of characters, metaphorical characters. Of course, I'm not going to tell you anything what it's about because it's not not my... uh, Because
2: that's uh, what we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's worth asking, though, because, uh, you know, there are parents in the band now.
0: Yeah.
6: Do you
2: find that that's making its way into the music? Because for a lot of artists, that's sort of inescapable. You know, Uh whether you're writing directly the song... To your child, which can be horrible and sometimes great. Unknown <laughs> yeah. Mortal Orchestra right now has a song called "Honeybee." It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's about his kid and everything. Like Most the of them are sort of bad. Yeah, uh, throughout history
6: I mean, or, I, or you, cheesy. You wouldn't believe the amount of bad songs I've written about my like to my daughter, just like a strumming
2: a guitar while she's sitting yeah, there, like yeah. oh yeah 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 it's yeah. Just, I think that's
0: necessary.
6: Yeah, yeah.
2: But, but none. Yeah. Do you know if any of that's made its way into the record?
0: Um, it, it, in a roundabout way, yeah. B- but but. I think the approach for this record was more of a, a whole like like a more of a vast outlook on everybody mm-hmm. instead of just like of course it's all going to be personalized to some degree but it's mostly like a just a like of a human collective uh, concept. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How important was stepping away then because there was lots of family time. We are now you played shows, I know intermittently, you know, especially once you got off tour, but but there uh, what I would say is um for the um, for the trajectory that the band was on, the, the success that you know was being handed to you. Uh, as everyone yelled the word pink in the crowd at the same time. You know, uh, it takes step away for as I long as laugh as... but that'll never get old. Like that's that's so like uh, exciting. So. And they do it at the wrong uh, points. They do it too early every time. Every you time. You just, I love failed. it every time. Yeah. Though. It's, it's awesome. It's like no nah, you're too soon. But, but you know, to have all that going on and then to take a little bit more time than usual, uh, th- uh, to me, that would feel a little bit nerve-wracking. Was it important to step away? D- did you know it was going to take this long between records?
5: I didn't think no. it was going to take this long, but I'm super glad that it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To really get out of our comfort zone, and then that kind of turned into a comfort zone. Right. And, I mean, you can easily get cabin fever, but we would have these breaks— during sessions and you know go home for a while or go to El Paso and then back to Los Angeles and or play a show I think we had a couple fly dates in between sessions but it yeah, was weird it was it was a really cool way to figure out this new sound and who we are now as a three piece and I I wouldn't change anything about it I mm-hmm. love the way it happened.
2: Well, thanks for making the seg there about the three-piece because I uh, definitely want to ask about that. I mean, that's that was also a big thing for the fans, a big sort of shock out there that, uh, you know, the four-piece that started, talking about Katie Tupin mm-hmm. not in the band anymore. And, you know, and for all the reasons that people leave bands, uh, what was that like to go through as everything is also happening to you guys in, in a positive sense?
0: Well, I think it was great to make two records that were well-received with katie and but what happened was when she left we had to find a creative process for uh include like with just the three of us My mm-hmm. sans one and it became um much more like individualistic and and then we even we, so we then we branched out with rado and everett so it's pretty much just a, a finding a new process yeah and and that and then that in itself became a journey
5: like yeah, yeah. I would, so would like be finding
0: band. new things.
2: Because at this point what on stage you're seven piece, eight
5: piece? Seven. seven. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean that's it, it It must feel like a completely new band. Oh Definitely. totally. And yeah. it's it's so much fun playing these new these new songs and kind of making the old ones a little a little different. So we're not, you know, playing the same thing. Keep keeps us entertained. Yeah. And we got great guys out of Louisville, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Drew Miller and Graham Gardner and uh, Aaron, Aaron Craker, Caleb Hickman, Caleb Hickman out of St. Louis, Bloomington boy now, so we got another Hoosier in the band.
0: So what we did was uh, <laughs> we had, a uh, so the two guys, uh, Graham and Drew were playing sax, and after the record it was like, there wasn't too much sax on the record, so they kind of had to switch up, so they started playing like synth and like drum pads and stuff, yeah. so it was cool, seamless, seamless switch.
2: That's yeah. cool. I mean, I, I've only been able to catch uh, the stuff online so far uh, mm-hmm. w- with the new lineup, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and I mean, it does say a lot for a band because that can shake up anybody, you know, to to go through a, any kind of member change, especially when you're right in the middle of promoting a record uh, in such a way. Although I think it was sort of towards the end of the uh, the actual promotion cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to kind of, you know, be able to pick it up right away and say, all right, let's do this. Like <laughs> here, that's, that's here completely commendable. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm always such a big fan. I'm, I'm really glad we did this, and uh, and for the record and everything else, congratulations, guys. It's yeah. nice to have Houndmouth back. Heck yeah. yeah! It's
5: good yeah. to be back. The new studio looks phenomenal.
2: Thanks. He I did this my, with my own two hands. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you should see the calluses the cow. <laughs> <laughs> I put on the Ben Harper song, my own two hands, and I did it. <laughs> that's all uh, I did. I just put on the song. What that's a montage! That's what I did. a montage!
5: And it just, happened. Just name drop
2: everyone. This is
1: great. <laughs>
2: Hey, my thanks to the Houndmouth fellas right there. The latest record is called Golden Age. And once again, thanks to the other two as well. Ben Hosey from Bodega, Jack Tatum from Wild Nothing. And hey, and you, and and especially you, if you hit that subscribe button right now, Uh, whether you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, whether you're listening on Spotify or checking us out on YouTube, please do hit the subscribe button there. After that, head over to wfpk.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. Where you can also find some bonus episodes of this series. You can find me at Twitter, at Kyle Meredith, Facebook, slash Kyle Meredith. That does it for this week. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
1: Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.